G'day, welcome to Partakers and to our series, Easter 2012. Today is Sunday, and I've entitled this one, Risen and the Firstborn from the Dead. And we start not in the Gospels, but from the writings of the Apostle Paul. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, he says this, Now I declare to you the good news which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold firmly the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to over five hundred brothers at once, most of whom remain until now, but some have also fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to the child born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. That was the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church about the Jesus, this Jesus having been raised from the dead physically. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, tell us that Jesus was crucified, died and was buried in a tomb. What do these four Gospels say about the Jesus' resurrection or rising from the dead? Let's first look at the sequence of events over the period of time from Jesus' death till he ascended. And now remember that the Gospels are historical documents recording historical events. First of all, the two Marys watch the burial. Then Roman soldiers guard the tomb and place an official Roman seal upon it. The breaking of that seal would have resulted in death. Women prepare the burial spices, then rest. An angel rolls the stone away. The women arrive at dawn with the spices. Then angels appear to the women, and the women rush back, frightened but excited to tell the disciples. Then Peter and John investigate the empty tomb. Peter and John then go home. Mary Magdalene weeps by the tomb. And Mary sees two angels. Then, then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And then he appears to the other women. And the women report to the disciples. The guards testify to the priests. Jesus meets two people on the Emmaus road, possibly two disciples. Then, then Jesus appears to Simon Peter. And then, the two, these two people on the Emmaus road report to the disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus appears to the disciples. Thomas is away at the time. Then the disciples report to Thomas. Then Jesus appears to the disciples and Thomas is there. Jesus appears to seven people. Jesus then questions Peter three times. Jesus appears to 500 men plus women and children. And then Jesus appears to James. 
And what are the evidences for the resurrection, for this rising of the dead of Jesus Christ? These facts remain for the resurrection. Look at them, listen to them, study them. Did you notice as you read the Gospels, after the events of the resurrection, the changed attitude of the disciples after seeing the risen Jesus? They changed from defeated, cowardly people into victorious, brave people. Nobody who could have produced the dead body of Jesus Christ did. That silence is, is as significant as the preaching of the apostles. Or take the multiple appearances of Jesus to various numbers of individuals and groups of people at various times of the day and in differing circumstances. This shows that Jesus' resurrection was physical in nature. Some people say Jesus' resurrection was spiritual in nature, not physical. But the amount of people that saw him physically afterwards dispels that particular myth. What about the current tangible evidence, the survival and inordinate growth and impact of the early church and that the church is still growing 2,000 years later? If there was no bodily resurrection of Jesus, would people really have risked persecution and death for knowing a lie? Certainly the Roman and Jewish authorities would not have wanted a new movement started. Perhaps one or two people maybe would have risked persecution and death for knowing a lie, but not hundreds and thousands. And yet people still doubt. Let us say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Surely the authorities, both Jewish and Roman, would have produced the dead body in order to quench this new movement. But they didn't, and the reason they didn't is because there was no body to produce. Would the disciples, as I said before, really risk death for telling and maintaining a lie about this risen Jesus? They were beaten, confused, defeated and dispersed men until they saw Jesus truly did rise from the dead. And after seeing him, they were transformed and transformed into a victorious and joyous people. I've had people say to me that somebody, even the disciples, stole the body. Hardly likely. And if that had occurred, for what reason? How would they have got past the Roman guard and moved the stone a great distance from the tomb? And a Roman guard wasn't just one person. It was usually 16 in in a formation of four by four. And this very reason is what the Jewish authorities tried to perpetuate by way of a bribe in Matthew 28, verse 11 to 15. Now while the disciples of Jesus were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a large amount of silver to the soldiers, saying, Say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and make you free of worry. So they took the money and did as they were told. This saying was spread abroad among the Jews and continues until this day. Then we had the swoon theory. Jesus didn't die, but merely fainted and recovered consciousness in the tomb. 
And even the skeptics, the arch skeptics, disagree with that theory. One of whom said, It is impossible that a being who had stolen half dead out of the sepulchre, who crept about weak and ill, wanting medical treatment, who required bandaging, strengthening and indulgence, and who still at last yielded to his sufferings, could have given to the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death and the grave, the prince of life. Or perhaps they all went to the wrong tomb. That's it. That must be it. They went to the wrong tomb, people say. Well, whilst one person may have gone to a wrong tomb, not everyone would have done. Besides, the gospel accounts tell us that people were waiting outside the tomb where Jesus was buried. And surely, surely Joseph of Arimathea would know which tomb Jesus was buried in, seeing as Joseph owned it. And lastly, Jesus didn't die on the cross, but somebody was substituted for him. This is certainly untenable, given the rigidity and strict record-keeping of Roman rule and with the eyes of the Jewish hierarchy watching. This conjecture is a lie of Satan because he knows the significance of Jesus having risen physically from the dead. And what is the significance of that resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus Christ provides the central theme for the sermons and teaching within the early church movement, and certainly within Pauline theology and Pauline thinking. But what significance is there in Jesus' resurrection for today? The resurrection, Jesus' rising from the dead, proved and vindicated all Jesus' teaching and the claims as a suffering servant and attested to his being fully God and the last judge of all mankind. The resurrection declared God's approval of Jesus' obedient service and the fulfilment of all the Old Testament promises, resulting in forgiveness of sins and salvation being only found in and through Jesus Christ, which was the prime motive for evangelism in the early church. Jesus' resurrection is a sign of the bodily resurrection for all believers in him, giving a new attitude to death and transforming hopes. And as the resurrected king, Jesus now intercedes for all those who follow him, and he has perfected the redemption of all those who choose to follow him. And finally, the resurrection of Jesus' physical body is a sure victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. All three are conquered, defeated, and squashed. Satan is but a defeated creature, albeit powerful, and he will do anything to drag people into into that defeat with him. The power of sin is conquered, and sin's grip is overcome if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Finally, as I said earlier, death has been beaten because those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ will live forever with him. Death is not the end, but a beginning, a beautiful beginning. And if Jesus Christ did not physically rise from the dead, then as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say 
that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, neither has Christ been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God, because we testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he didn't raise up, if it is so that the dead are not raised. For if the dead aren't raised, neither has Christ been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain, you are still in your sins. Then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are of all people most pitiable. Or let me put it in my own words. If Jesus Christ did not physically rise from the dead, then we who call ourselves Christians are the product of the greatest delusional lie and are the most foolish of all people because of it. But as we've seen, the good news is that Jesus Christ is still living. The the remainder of the four Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts tell us a little more of what Jesus did before he ascended into the heavens to the right hand of the throne of God, the Father. But Jesus still meets with people at the present time and he does this because he walks with us. Wherever we go and in particular in the darkest periods of our life, he is there. Just as he did with the two people on the road to Emmaus, he walks with those who proclaim to follow him. Jesus speaks whenever the Bible is faithfully preached and or read from, just as he opened the eyes of those on the Emmaus road when he explained the scriptures. Jesus meets us in the communion or Lord's Supper with the bread and wine which symbolize his flesh and blood as an act of remembrance of what he did for humanity. But that That is still not the end, because Jesus has promised that he's coming again, not as a baby next time, but as an all-conquering son of God, in judgment, to gather those who follow him. Are you ready? Thank you.